post-retirement, you tell the story of a captain who paid off his boat and got a high tax bill. And Chris, the story just broke my heart. Yeah. You advised him to pay it off over four years to avoid taxes. Yep. So he didn't, and he got the huge-ass tax bill. Yep. My question is this. Why is the system, meaning like the money withdrawn, considered income? Well, it, it all ends up in an IRA. Like I said, the drop right. money, the 457 money ends up in an IRA. And again, it's just, it's education. I mean, I think many times my job as a financial advisor is not so much how to invest people's money, but it's to keep them from doing stupid stuff. Yeah, and, how to you spend know, that money. But like, yeah, so, so why is, even like, isn't it better to pay it off all at once? Why is the system set up to encourage payments over time? Like if, if you have the money to pay for it up front, why are you penalized for that? That's very bizarre to me. Yeah, well, what, what we try to do is it all comes down to your taxable income. So, I mean, everybody likes to make more taxable income, but what you don't want to see, and any CPA will tell you, you don't want to see a big spike here and then it come down. And so in his particular case, you know, I kept telling him, don't pay it off, don't pay it off, don't pay it off in one lump sum. You have to structure it that you take 20 grand a year out over five years to make it look like you're only making an extra 20 grand a year. I'm like, if you take out a hundred grand, it's going to make make you look on top of your pension like you made $200,000, which jacks you up in the next tax bracket. And in his case, it did. Uh, and, and he paid a severe, you know, not a penalty, but he paid That's a tremendous taxes. amount in yeah, taxes. Yeah, tax, and tax. so he should have had a CPA. He did his own taxes and he should have listened to us about not taking out gigantic sums of money. I mean, you can take, don't get me wrong, you can take money out of your IRA. It's your money inside your IRA, but you need to strategically take it out right. so that you're not causing these huge spikes in income, which then jacks you into another bracket. So right, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, you gotta, if you're going to have the money, you know, sometimes you've got to do a little hush hush about it. Right. Yeah. You got, you have a, you have to have a strategy to pay it off. And I've seen, you know, we had one officer literally buy a farm and I said, you're going to get crushed, but we broke it up over two separate years, you know, that he took the money out and he ended up buying the farm and he ended up paying the taxes on it. But for the most part, you know, the ones that, you know, come up with a strategy, you know, for example, one of the other questions I get is, Hey, I'm going to retire and I want to pay off my house. My first question is, well, what's your mortgage rate? And everybody answers the same thing. Oh, I owe hundred grand. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't care how much you own. What yeah, is your rate? rate? Oh, I refinanced two years ago. My rate's 2.75%. I'm like, you are never paying that off because you will never see a mortgage rate at 2.75%. So even if you're retired, that's the cheapest money you could possibly have. Now, eventually you might pay it off because at the end of the loan, it's going to be mostly principal and very little interest. But you know, to pay off a mortgage early is a bad idea, uh, especially if you have an extremely attractive rate because you're never going to see a rate like that again. It's just so bizarre to me, right? It just, it goes against conventional wisdom. I have money to afford something, but don't pay for it. Right, right. right? Exactly. I already bought it. I already bought right. it. I have the money to pay for something I already bought, but don't do it. Right. You just have to be smart about it. It's I mean, so there's, it's so yeah, there's, weird. there's good, there's good debt and bad debt. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, if you have good debt at 2.75% on a property that's appreciating, that's great because I can turn around and take your hundred thousand dollars and make you five, six, you know, percent, uh, little or no risk. So why not create that arbitrage where you're making more with the money you already have versus paying off the debt, which is at a very low rate. Right. So. Well, it's, it's the same thing with like annual fees. 
Look, I, like, I understand commission, right? You're doing a job, you're doing a service, you need to be paid off the money you make for them. That's, right. you know, that's just quid pro quo. That makes sense. But annual fees, you're punishing me for making money. Yeah, well, the way we operate at our, our shop is uh, we're a registered investment advisor. So, for example, if somebody rolls over 457, uh, you know, drop account to it, it's a $100,000 account, we charge one and a quarter percent. So that's, right. you know, $1,250. We bill it quarterly. It's not $1,250 each quarter. It's about $300. Um, and it, it, what's good about doing that is that we are really engaged. I had a famous... Uh, a banker tell me one time, he's like, you want to take a little piece of the business as it goes by. Don't charge them a lot up front. Don't penalize them if they leave. But we are very cog cognizant because I'm trying to get that $100,000 account to 200000 to 500 to a million. At a million, we, we drop down to 1%. But again, all the transactions inside that account, you don't pay any transaction charges. You buy a mutual fund, you buy a stock, you sell, you know buy a bond, CD, buy or sell. Nobody pays transaction charges anymore. You may pay a tiny little platform fee. Some mutual funds charge a five or ten dollar platform fee up for the custodian. But all in all, the main reason why you want to char be charged a management fee is because that person that's managing your money is trying to make your money grow. I have people come to me all the time and they're like, oh, my guy hasn't called me for two or three years. I invested a hundred grand with them three years ago. I'm like, oh, and I look at what they invested in and it was you know, basically what they call uh, front sales charge mutual funds. I'm like, well, did you give the guy any other money? No, we haven't given him any money. I'm like, well, he made his commission up front. Uh, he's not really interested in talking to you unless you give him some more money. So the industry has really gone to a management fee uh, which I think is good, uh, you, you know, because obviously everybody's got skin in the game that way. Right. Well, that makes sense, right? You're, it's again, it's a service, right? Even if it is just kind yeah. of just looking at it, like writing a report, you know, I'm here if you need me. You know, I have, I have a financial advisor through Ameriprise, which is my investments are for, right? You know, I talk to him maybe once a year around taxes mm -hmm. and to see where I'm at if I want to make a move or I'm like, you know, keep an eye on it. That, that, that does, that fee is deserved because he's actually, you know, doing something. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. All right, Chris. Last, the last thing, the journey of the three officers. You got officer long term, detective doubter, and chief procrastinator. I bet you came up with those all by yourself. Oh gosh, and, and, <laughs> and like I said, I you know I got to be careful not to put names with them. But well, of course, you know, right. you yeah. So I can't. You know, in my so I, I I've seen these officers over and over in my career, and that's why we came up. But you know, officer long term, young guy. Uh, you know, may not be super financially astute, but he knows he needs to save money. He gets right in as a police officer, puts money in his 457 plan, mm -hmm. tries to put as much as he can, uh, you know, doesn't uh, over leverage, buy too big a house or a car, you know, gets married. Uh, you know, he understands that there's an end game here is what he ends up doing and, and he's preparing them. And hopefully by us writing our book, and getting it out to younger police officers, they realize I need a strategic plan early on in my career. Um, Detective Doubter is that guy 10, 12 years from retirement. Uh, you know, he's kind of been through the mill a little bit. Uh, he, he's, he, he, you know, may or may not be a little sour on his profession, uh, but he really hasn't saved enough money. But again, he's got too big a house with a mortgage. He needs a job where he's making 140 grand a year. 
uh, you know, again, we're trying to get these people and we use examples in our book, you know, we, we've run spreadsheets through them showing just by doing this, here's how much money you're going to have at the end. And it's, it's uh, again, it's never too late to start. And that's, you know, police chief procrastinator, you know, I get police chiefs. They've been making a lot of money throughout their entire career. And all of a sudden their career is starting to wind down and they're like, Whoa, I need to do something. You know, I got four years for retirement. And so again, if they get a strategy, focus on their 457 plan, you know, get their debt under control, they can get to the end game is what they can end up doing. Because unfortunately, this is the only job I know uh, where you can leave your house in the morning, kiss your wife and kids goodbye. You may not come home or uh, you may not, you know, have a job, uh, you, you know, at the end of the day. So, you know, they deal with a lot of risk and they'll tell you 98% of my job as a police officer is pure boredom followed by 2% of sheer terror. And again, the reason why we wrote this book uh, and we're doing a podcast like this is we're hoping, you know, that we can, if we can help one police officer have a better retirement, uh, we'll feel, we'll feel fulfilled.